Uh, Mr. Carl, if you ever need a job, I've got a recording gig where you can just record the Bible for me and speak into it, and that will be what I listen to. There are a few people, okay, there's a lot of people whose voices I wish I had, and I'm stuck with mine, so it is what it is. We're going to be in John chapter 17 again this morning. Um, as you're flipping there, I would love it. We have Bibles in front. The words will be on the screen, but if you feel like you're ready to open up God's Word, they are in the pew backs in front of you, and I just think it would be awesome if we all were in God's Word together. I know the words will be on the screen, but just knowing where these passages are located would be beneficial. But um, if you're flipping there, uh, great. If not, I've said it already. The words will be on the screen. Uh, anybody have any childhood favorite toys that you remember playing with that are just like, man, that, that was my childhood. Like maybe it was a uh, Chia Pet. Anybody remember those? I don't know if that was anybody's favorite childhood toy, but it was a plant that grew inside of a ceramic animal, Chia Pet, and then you could like give them haircuts and stuff. It was grass. That was pretty much it. Um, mine was, I had three. I had Hot Wheels, and the likes of that. I had G.I. Joe's, and I had Legos. Legos were probably one of my personal favorites. Uh, they just allowed you to do the creativity. They allowed you to build whatever you wanted to build. And really, you could do that. You could take all these crazy pieces, put them together, and voila, you've got a house. And that was pretty much all I could ever make. But there was always a purpose for Legos. If you're familiar with making Legos, you would get the box, you'd open it up, and you could just go to town building whatever you wanted. But each piece actually had a specific purpose that it was created to do with a purpose and an end result. Um, this week I grabbed little Daniel Nelson and I asked him if he would build a Lego set for me without any directions. So I showed him the box of what he was supposed to build. And we have a video, it's like 20 seconds. Um, he, he worked really, really fast, but this is what he came up with. If you want to show that, Pete. I mean, he was moving, like, super quick. Oh, we got some audio to it, even. So down in the bottom right, that is what he is supposed to be trying to make. It's supposed to be a boat, and he's working, and I'll be honest, he scared me because I needed him to fail, and he got a little too close for my comfort. It was like you almost made exactly what you were supposed to make. But he did not come close, really. He got pretty close, but that's his end product. The vague shape of a boat. But he's still got all these pieces left over. He's still got everything. So then the next video that we have is we gave him the directions and he actually was able to make it by looking at the directions. And apparently our video is frozen. There he goes, Speedy Gonzalez, working extra fast now that he has the directions. But each piece has a purpose. He could create whatever he wanted to create, but he had an end goal of making a boat. The same can be said about our lives. Even as, nope, not going to see the end result. He did finish it. But even in our lives, you have the freedom to really create whatever you want to create with your life. I mean, you are, you're an American. The American dream is that you can pursue whatever career you want to pursue. The American dream is even going crazier than that, that you can be whatever you want to be. But as we looked at last week, we have a purpose. 
that as believers, we are given an end goal to our life, and that is worship. And at the heart of worship is we are called to glorify God, that we get to know God, we get to be in relationship with God, and we are called ultimately to glorify Him in everything that we do. But the problem is, is that if you don't have directions on how to glorify God, if you're trying to, okay, I'm going to glorify God, I can do whatever I want and say, God, I'm doing this for you, it's going to end bad. But instead, what God has done is he has given us his word to see how we glorify him. And so we're going to be in John 17, where Jesus is praying on the night that he's betrayed. And he prayed first off just that God be glorified through what he's about to do. And now we see that he's going to be praying for his initial disciples, but it carries over to us as well. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. As we continue with the heart of worship, as Jesus is praying for his followers, John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you'll join me as we open up in prayer. Father God, we thank you. God, that we have your word. God, that you have spoken to us. And, and God, that you paid the price that we were supposed to pay. God, you have, you've just done so much for us. But I pray right now that you speak to us. God, open our hearts to receive what you have to say so that we can live to glorify you in everything that we do. We love you. We thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so as we said, there's, there's this, this meaning in this text that is initially for the original disciples. Jesus says, I'm praying for them whom you have given me. He's specifically praying for his followers. But that doesn't mean that there's not meaning for us today. Because we see that what Jesus is praying for them applies to us. Jesus is praying for preservation. 
that they will stand strong because Jesus is about to leave them and he's saying, God, I need you to keep them. Keep their faith. Keep them from the evil one, as he says. John verse 6, chapter 17, verse 6. He says, I manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. They received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the redemption of the world, even though through them the redemption of the world is going to come because they are the messengers of the message, but instead I'm praying for them, that they would believe me. I am praying for them for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, he says, keep them in your name. Help them to preserve their faith. Help them to stand strong because later on he's actually going to say they're going to be hated because of the message that I bring because of the message that they're going to be delivering. And we see that all 11 of these, except for John, so 10 out of the 11, died for the faith. They were persecuted, they were tortured, and they were martyred because of their faith. And John didn't die for lack of trying. They actually, tradition says that he was boiled and then he was exiled. So he went through his fair share. He just did not see death through martyrdom. But Jesus is saying he's about to go and that they need to preserve their faith. That they're going to go and share the message. And remember, we are called not to go to worship. We're not called to come to this, but we are called to live lives of worship. And so we're going to see that at the heart of that worship is knowing God. And that really, honestly, the world is going to try and dilute that. How often is the world trying to tell you not to believe what God says is true? How often is the world trying to persuade you to go away from God's word? And so what Jesus is saying is that as my followers, you got to be firm. Over and over, the Bible tells us to stand firm. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, but stand firm. Ephesians 6.13, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil and, in, and, and having done all, stand firm. And then Philippians 4, 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. We have to stand firm. In order to live a life of worship, it means being set apart from the rest of the world, which means standing firm in God. But it's not just standing firm, because like Daniel, when he was trying to make the, the boat without the directions, it's like, okay, well, I think this is the direction I'm supposed to go. I think this is what it's supposed to look like. But it doesn't look like what God's telling us our lives and worship and glorifying Him looks like. So instead, we have to have something to stand firm in. We persevere. We continue to push on towards what God is calling us. Why? 
Because if we don't persevere, if we don't stand firm, we can get pulled away from our relationship with Christ. And I'm not talking about losing salvation here, but I'm talking about a nearness to God. It's like the couple that was riding around in the truck. And they started out sitting by each other. I've shared this story before, but they start out, it's a buck, uh, bench seat. They're sitting by each other. And then as time goes on, the wife gradually is working towards the other side of the vehicle. And then one day, just driving down the road, she's like, you remember we used to be so close? Why are we so far apart right now? And the husband's like, babe, I haven't gone anywhere. And that's how it is with God. He hasn't moved on us. But we're not standing firm the way that we're supposed to stand firm. And so the world is going to try and pull us away. It's going to try and draw us away from our relationship with God. Because Jesus knows difficulties are coming. I mean, can't we all say amen to that? Man, we know that there is going to be trials. Jesus says in this world, you will have trial and tribulation. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted, not for doing wrong, but for my name's sake. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for doing what I'm calling you to do. That standing firm is going to come with troubles. And it's going to try and pull you away from the truth. And so we are reminded over and over in Jesus' prayer is that we not be like the wave tossed to and fro in the ocean, but instead we be that anchor. We hold firm to God who is our anchor. And Jesus, he says, troubles are going to come. He says this in verse 13. I'm coming to you, God, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I mean, man, how, how great would it have been if Jesus said, God, I pray that you just never bring any trouble upon them. That's a prayer I pray. I mean, God, don't let me face difficulties. God, Give me the nice, easy Christian life. Let me have my comforts. Let me have my joys. Let me have my stuff. That's not Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is, because they love me, the world's going to hate me. Because they're holding so firm to your truth, God, the world's going to think that they're crazy. Kind of hidden close to home a lot of times today. Whenever we're looking at the way that the, the church in general, is viewed as a bunch of cults, as a bunch of right-wing crazies, as a bunch of outdated, just repressive, oppressive people. We are facing troubles. And I'm not going to say persecution, because that's a word that we haven't truly experienced to the depth of it, but definitely trials, definitely difficulties, and more and more, they're going to be coming. And we are going to have to be holding firm to something. And Jesus says, God's word is what we hold on to. Because Jesus tells us through Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, to be of this world is to become like this world. 
Jesus says we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So to be of this world is that if you held a non-believer and a believer side by side, they might look identically alike. And sadly, that's the case. It's like six days out of the week, I can live like the world. But then that seventh day, I might wake up a little bit earlier and I might go to this service and call it good. I would say you're actually kind of more of the world if that's the way it is. Jesus wants us to be light in darkness where we shine bright. He says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You should be noticed because of your faith. You should not be blending in with the rest of society. You should stand out. Well, aren't they going to think we're crazy? Jesus says yes. He says they're not only going to think you're crazy, they're going to hate you. They're going to have you stand out. They're going to call you names. They're going to ridicule you. You're going to lose relationships. You're going to lose promotions. You're going to lose whatever because of Jesus. But Jesus says it is so much more worth it to follow after me. John, he tells us that we actually cannot love the things of this world and love God. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. I'm going to pause there real quick. That is like the DNA of sin. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the heart, and the pride of life. Where you look at Adam and Eve. First, she saw the fruit. She wanted the fruit. And then she went after the fruit. You look at Samson. He sees a woman that he's not supposed to marry. He desires her. And then he thinks he can handle it. All throughout scripture. This is the DNA of sin. I'm going to read it. It is, if I can find my passage. It is the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says all of that is of the world. It is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, you should feel this turmoil within you whenever you are loving the ways of the world. You should feel this like, oh man, something's not right here when I'm outside of God's will. There should be that pull because the two don't run hand in hand. You cannot be blending in with the world and be following God wholeheartedly. And so we need to stand firm in God's word because again, the world is going to send lies. These are some of the really big lies that I'm seeing in the world that the world is calling truth. A baby in the womb is not real life. You can get rid of it. And honestly, there's, there's movements that are pushing for a baby outside of the womb for two days isn't even life. You can still get rid of it. And there are people within the church that are believing that. That is not from God. That is from hell itself. God's design for man and woman is wrong. That God made a mistake. God's design for marriage is wrong. We're seeing that. The Bible is ancient, outdated, and oppressive. Look at the original sin, Adam and Eve, where Satan comes to them. And he uses almost scripture. Scripture wasn't around at that time. But he always takes God's word and dilutes it and tries to really get you to question it. 
Even with Jesus, he quoted scripture. Jesus, cast yourself down from this high place because it is written that he will send his angels down to catch you and you will not strike your foot. And Jesus is like, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And that very first sin, Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say? I mean, I know God said, do not eat of it, but did God really say you can't touch it? Did God really say, don't go near it? He's twisting. He's manipulating. He knows scripture. He's able to use it. We are to stand firm in that. So when God says, or not God, when Satan in the world says, did, did God really mean homosexuality when he says that in the Bible? Because there's movements that are not like really what he meant is pedophilia. That, you know, if it's really love, it's okay. So God didn't really mean that. Other things. Did God really mean to make me this way? I don't feel happy with how I am. So God must have really not meant for me because ultimately God wants me to be happy, right? That's the heart of worship if you're a Satanist, where it's the desire of self. But as believers, it's to glorify God. That is the heart of worship for Christians. So we are called to persevere because this world is fading from God's truth. And because of that, difficulties are coming. You're going to experience them if you have not already. Not just from the world, but from personal attacks, from just crazy circumstances that happen. Difficulties are coming. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So we want to know God and we want to stand firm. We're supposed to persevere. How do we do that? Jesus tells us in John 17, 17 through 19, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart in truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. How do you stand firm? How do you not get tossed to and fro by the waves of this world and by the circumstances that hit us? You stand firm in the word of God. You hold tight to it. You hold it. Uh, The psalmist said this in Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? You want to know? By guarding it. Not according to your thoughts. Not according to how you view things. By guarding it according to your being God's word. This isn't five minutes in the Bible in the morning. This is being in God's word, eating it, digesting it, meditating on it, thinking about it throughout the day. This is holding firm to the word of God more than you hold firm to anything else. Because when Jesus was in the wilderness, he just went 40 days without food. And the first thing Satan hits him with is, hey, if you're truly the son of God, turn this rock into bread because that'll appease you. You're hungry, man, right? Go for it. And Jesus says, Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That food that I could turn, that rock that I could turn into food, it's not gonna satisfy me. It'll give me a temporary quick cure, and then I'll be hungry again. It is not what I desire. What I need is the real truth, the real bread. I need God's word. 
You, so, you see, we worship God by knowing God and glorifying God. And the way we know how to do that is by being in His Word, centering our lives on truth. His Word is truth. Jesus is truth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So we know truth through Jesus. But the question is, how do you know Jesus? Well, common statement here. Well, my God wouldn't be like that. Well, I just don't think Jesus would do that. It's a common thing you hear. Well, I don't worship a God who is like that. Well, you don't worship God. If God is who is in your mind and not in God's truth, it's not the true God. We don't conform to the pattern of this world, but we transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind, which comes from the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is living and active. It's not some outdated manuscript. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is living and active. It is truth. You see, this is, this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us today. You know, God could use any method. You look at uh, the Middle East right now. One of the largest revivals in like the history is going on in the Middle East, where the Bible is hostile. And so God is revealing himself through visions, through dreams. I mean, there are huge movements going on overseas. But to us here today, God is using his word to reveal himself. That is how we get to know who God is. That is how we get to grow in his word. He can use any method. But the primary method that he's using is scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is living and active. We need to be in God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. And we need to take it to heart. When I say memorize right here, I'm not saying that you need to be able to be like, all right, John 5, 63 says, I don't even know what it says. I, I don't have that memorized. I'm not saying you need to know verse and reference, but what I'm saying is you need to know what the word of God says. You need to be able to have it in your heart so that when the world spits out these truths, you're able to respond with truth. When the world spits out these lies, you respond with truth. And so I'm going to push back on this real quick because a lot of people, and I'm one of them a lot of times, I have been blessed with like a memory brain thing, but there's something up there. A lot of people will say, I can't memorize. And I understand that. What you probably should say more is memorization does not come easy to me. Because I'm going to push back on this real quick. How many of you know the stats of your favorite football team? athlete or something like that. I mean, like I remember growing up, David Robinson was my favorite athlete. And I could tell you this season, he averaged 28.9 points per game. This year, he was the leading scorer. This year, he had a quadruple double, only one of four people to do that. I knew it all. 
Maybe sports isn't your thing. How many of you know a recipe without looking at a book? I can't. That's not me. How many of you can travel to a specific location in another state without ever turning on your GPS or asking for directions? Every man might find their way there, but we don't know how to get there really. It's luck. How many of you know the ratio of how much fertilizer to put on so that you don't kill your crops, but you help them grow? We can memorize stuff. How many of you can tell me the horsepower, torque, and specs of your favorite car? The thing is, we can memorize because we find interest, we see the necessity, or we actually care about those things. We all have knowledge up here. We can spit out information like crazy. So what it's saying is when we say, well, I can't memorize, what we're really saying is I don't care to invest the time into God's word to understand and put it into my heart. I'm just going to read it and not digest it. Because I got far too many other important things to do. Should have worn your steel toe boots today. We don't memorize because we don't care. I mean, look at this video. We have the video again. When Daniel was making the Legos and he actually had the instructions with him, look at his eyes. Where are they constantly going? He is constantly referring back to the owner's manual, to the directions. We should constantly do that with the word of God. We should constantly be like, God, what does your word say? And man, we have Google. Just Google, what does the Bible say about? And you've got it in a split second. It's easier than ever. Do we truly care? Are we truly centering our lives of worship around the word of God? Do we see God's word being what Peter said about Jesus when Jesus was like, are y'all going to leave me too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. God, where are we going to go? Where are we going to turn to? We have seen that your word is true and living and active. And it has the words of eternal life. I've tasted it. I've seen that you are good. God, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to see what the news is telling me. I don't want to see what social media or what culture is saying is true. God, I want to know what your word says is truth. God, I want to be sanctified in truth. Your word is what is true. I want to meditate on it. I want to eat it. I want to dwell on it throughout the day. Bring it back into my mind throughout the day. Because nobody else has the answer. Pastor Andy doesn't have the answer unless it comes from your word. The elders don't have the answer unless it comes from your word. Your Christian counselor doesn't have the answer unless it comes from truth. The only truth is God's word. If you want to know God, be in his word. Walk in his word. Grow in his word. Because that's what's at the heart of this life that we live where we are called to live lives of worship. Right before Romans 12, 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and acceptable worship. Not what we do here. What you live 
365 until God calls you home. And at the center of living that life of worship is glorifying God, which is found in his word. That is how you live a life of worship to glorify God, being centered in his word. It is the breath of life. It is the word of truth, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so I want to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed. We're going to pray, close out with this in verse 14 of John chapter 17. He says, I have given them your word. We have God's word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as Jesus is not of the world. He does not ask that we be taken from the world, but that we be kept from the evil one. And so I, I just ask that you pray that right now. Father God, may that be us. That we not be of this world, but God, that you keep us from the evil one. That we stand firm in your truth. Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. God, help us desire your word. Help us care about your word. Help us be in your word so that when that day of evil comes, God, we stand firm so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind around your truth. God, work in us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.